feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer! I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call college rules! Welcome everybody to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris, this is Dom. Do us a favor, give us these uh, little socials a follow, and also the social or the Sports Experience Podcast on uh, YouTube and Instagram. We give those a follow. And uh, give a give a shout out to Adidas because we're trying to get sponsorship from them. I, I know, know, right? Tell, <laughs> Not planned. <laughs> we're uh, we're shooting for the stars. We're trying to get Adidas. And who are we talking about today? Today we are doing an episode for a sport we haven't done in a while on one of probably the sport's greatest players. It's very true. We're going for the original Greek freak, Pete Sampras, on the tennis court. Chris, that's right. The uh, the quiet assassin. The quiet assassin. That's a good term for him. He's the only person. He made me feel confident when I was 11 that I started getting back hair. I was like, thank you, Pete Sampras, for bringing this to my attention. Because you have back hair and front hair and under hair. And I got hair everywhere. Right? <laughs> Petro Sampras, born August 12, 1971 in Washington, D.C., the third child of Sammy in Georgia. Yep. Yep. Recently immigrated from Greece. That's right. His mom, definitely. Um, at age three, he found a tennis racket in the basement of his parents' home, and he just spent hours in that basement hitting the ball against the wall, which uh, is very productive. A lot of kids do a lot of other different things in the basement, but uh, good for Pete. That's right. Well, I was whacking other things. So. Whacking off in my neighbor's oh, tool shed. <laughs> the boys, the boys were now. whacking. Uh, oh, but it was a uh, it was very a uh, family driven thing where his sister was really into it. He was really yeah. into it. The the family really backed them. My big fat Greek tennis court. It oh my god was it? <laughs> but yeah, it was a very tennis based family. And like, hey, if everyone's playing tennis, I can play tennis too. Yep. and I don't have to play by myself either. Um, so, but in 1978, uh, his family moves to Palos Verdes, California. So he could pretty much just play tennis whenever the hell he wants to at yep. that point. Um, that was a pretty big move when you when you think about it, because this is where um, him and his sister like join a club, and, and it becomes more of like training to be real professionals almost. Tennis has become more of a hobby, or more more than a hobby. For more that. than, yes. Yes, more than a hobby for the Sampras family and the kids. Um, his idol as growing up was Rod Laver, uh, one of the best tennis players ever. And uh, by age 11, he even got to play a match with him, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Always made me uh, want to play baseball at San Diego State and have Tony Gwynn hit, teach me how to hit. That's oh, right, Oh, my man. God, that would have been so awesome. Just meeting your heroes. Choke up, Dom. <laughs> Choke up, Dom. That bat's too heavy. Um, as a teenager, he joined the uh, Jack Kramer Club, um, coached by uh, Robert Lansdorp. And uh, this is where he learned his famous forehand. And uh, we'll probably talk about this later in the episode. But uh, driving through the ball to make the top spin not so extreme. And Pete DeVillips is quite the powerful hitter of the tennis ball. Well, this is what people were saying was this shot might not have worked for everybody else, but it worked for Pete so well because he was so powerful. And we see it later with his serve and this shot where a lot of the time if you watch, he's almost impossible to return. Yeah. So if he gets a clean hit... It's it's ridiculous. You know, the generation of the power comes from the speed. Chris. I didn't know if we knew this, but I'll tell you what. It's all in the hips. 
All in the hips. You probably didn't realize that because he's swinging a racket. He's whacking a racket. <laughs> speed is the name of the game. Oh, my God. Speed is the name of the game. But in this era, when he's 11, 12, 13, he's beating guys who are 16, 17, 18. He's beating yeah. his sister on and off the court. It's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop playing with your sister's hair. Um, he's noticed at that point by Dr. Peter Fisher, a pediatrician, and I read tennis enthusiast. Yep. Which is quite the combination. Um, who coached him until 1989. And this is where he wanted to teach him the single-handed backhand to help him win at Wimbledon on the fast courts. And that is where Pete eventually becomes the star of tennis. Because he has this single-handed backhand and this dominating forehand. And then this is... It. Was he doing something else in the basement? We'll never know. Well, it, I saw something that Pete commented on it. And he said, this is probably... The, the most formative years in an athlete's life that isn't addressed because, and he said he was so grateful that his form was, was taken under consideration and it made him like be able to hit perfect shots later in life. So he wasn't necessarily dominating it, but he was just like, yeah, that single-handed backhand that I got taught every single day, it, that was like what making a champion is practice makes perfect he wasn't going to white snake shows like brett hull he was using those teen years to become dominant well i say it's harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something so he just had this great technique and then he kind of like grows into his body yeah know? and uh whacking <laughs> oh, so i hope pete never hears this i don't think he will i don't think he will but, but my man, god this, this beginning has been a lot of masturbation references Woo. Ooh, uh, 1988 uh he turns pro at age 16 starting off at 893rd in the world um i saw that him and jim courier mm -hmm. uh ends up being one of his rivals some say his second biggest rival yeah <laughs> um, they uh went pro in the same uh weekend he was uh Pete was 16, he was 17, and they said after it they didn't realize what a change it was because they were oh, like, yeah. oh, we're essentially like men now. We yeah. have to take care of ourselves. I think he ends up moving to Florida. We got shit to handle, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's not college ruled anymore, Chris, on that paper. It's true. But, like, he drops out of high school and his family was completely behind him. That's something that's kind of interesting with these where they saw his potential – drop out 16, 17, become pro, and I w imagine he just started making pretty good money. Yeah, and I think they knew how good he was to where it's like, well, you're going to be a fringe player. Maybe you should go to college or think about something else. It's like, no, you can go pro. Yeah. Like, you've prepared for this. And he shows when he's 17, he, I mean, he beats a couple of, in this, uh, in 88, he beats a couple of top 40, top guys who are ranked in the top 40 so he shows that like he has this potential that everybody's talking about yeah he beats michael shapers at the u.s open and then um uh, finishes the year at 97 overall so i mean he quickly climbs the rankings for a 16 17 year old kid um in 1989 um he's ranked 81st um he wins his first grand slam match though in the first round of the french open this year which uh, i think is pretty impressive to be that young and on a surface which he's not known for. And that this is what people were saying was the improvement is there 88, 89, and then 90. I mean, whew. Yeah. Um, it, uh, the U.S. Open, um, he beats defending champ uh, Mats Willander which, uh, in 89, which is like, okay, he's climbing the mountain That's, now. Yep. He's going to be the next guy in a group of young guys. He is definitely looked at as 
because there was a group of young Americans in this time, mm-hmm. uh, Agassi, Chang, that were like looked at as because I think Chang just won the French Open, the French Open, or something like yeah. that, like that year. So everybody was talking about it, and Pete was actually kind of Pete's just chugging along, just yeah. being that silent assassin. Yes, you know, uh, nineteen ninety, um, really starting to improve. Uh, loses to uh, Yannick Noah. Uh, in the fourth round of, I believe, the Aussie Open, uh, gets his first title um, at the U.S. Pro Indoor in Philly by beating one Andre Agassi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now he's in the top 20 for the first time in his career, and he's here to stay, Chris. It, that's what you kind of see is there really isn't a drop-off. I mean, there is a little bit here, but like as far as being a top 10 tennis player, this is kind of where he's at. You know what I mean? Like, and it's really two years into his career. He's literally 18, 19 right now. And he, while he's losing in the early rounds of some of these, you know, grand slam events, um, he's also beating people like Ivan Lendl, um, who broke his uh, streak of eight straight U S open finals. Then in the semis of that year's U S open, he beats John McEnroe in four sets. And then we get Andre Agassi in the finals of this 1990 U S open where, Everybody's Gaga over Agassi and not Sampras. And this was kind of a defining match in his career. And this basically the start of their big rivalry. And it, it spiderweb so much back oh, to yeah. the end of his career. And it, it's weird to think of the way media has this because Pete said something where he was just like, I just beat John McEnroe, which was like in that time was like a big feat the man of the 80s late 70s so like he felt like going into this final he should have been looked at more as like the but you know what agassi had that hair he had that that headband yes he did the flowing locks thank god hopefully i don't go bald one day (laughs) and that was kind of what people were saying was agassi's the rock star yeah like mcenroe like mcenroe and sampras comes out and dominates him with his serve beats him in three sets yeah and a clash of styles not only in we, appearance but just playing styles we've gone all over it in our agassi, agassi episode, episode. please check it. it out but yes a complete clash of styles where pete dominates you off the serve and with his power and agassi just wants to rally until you're dead yeah and pete with the serve and volley when agassi comes back he's chasing him bringing him up from the baseline so and in three sets, Pete wins. And at 19 years and 18 days old, youngest Grand Slam winner, which is good for you, Pete. Good for you, Pete. He said, he said, you know, obviously he played the best tennis he could at that point, you know, or whatever. But he was like, that four days might have been like me hitting my like potential as hard. Like, because he gets better or whatever. But like, he was like, I was not that good. Yeah. In 1990. He makes that comment where he was just like, there are holes in my game. I wasn't confident with stuff. And and he was like, I, that was probably one of the luckier wins. Not against, because he hates Agassi. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> he goes, not against Agassi, but he was talking about the lead up with Lendl and McEnroe. Lendl, yeah. yeah. With beating the defending champion. And then McEnroe, who was one of the guys he would watch growing up, like all of us did. Um, not the tennis, the you know, <laughs> other stuff. But he's just that good yes. at that point. He's just that good that he's able to learn almost on the fly and just let his talent and his preparation take him to the next level. Yep. And what were you doing at 19, Chris? Because I certainly was not at the U.S. Open. That's when I started playing tennis. <laughs> That's when I worked at Abercrombie and was there hitting on MILFs. There That's what is. I was doing at 19. I was stringing tennis rackets. Stringing tennis rackets. 
Still whacking off in the tool shed. Whacking off. 1991, he wins the Tennis Masters Cup. Um, uh, he's given flack, though, uh, because after losing in the U.S. Open, he said, well, the pressure's off right now after losing to Courier in the quarterfinals. And uh, Courier and Jimmy Connors are not happy with young Pete's demeanor towards no. this. And this kind of comes back, uh, I think it's next year, where he said he wasn't coming into these events with the right mental attitude, mm -hmm. which I feel like that's the thing that you look at because he said in his quote, he was almost relieved to lose in which they were saying like, what the hell is he talking about? You know? So it, it's rough because I get it because there was almost too much pressure piled upon him as like the next guy. But he said himself, he felt like his game wasn't at that level, like I was saying. Yeah. Um, but other people did think it was at that level. And his kind of personality, that standoffish, like almost boring, if you will, doesn't rub people the right way. Yeah. <laughs> um, 92, he makes it to the quarters of the French Open, uh, semis of uh, Wimbledon, and then was runner up to uh, Stefan Edberg at the US Open. Um, he basically called it a wake up call. And this is, this is the moment because he loses to. Um, Ed Bergen in the semis, and it he fires his coach, mm -hmm. and he brings in um, Tim, what's his name, Golikson, mm -hmm. and this is what he said was they because Pam, he Sampras I was about to call him Pampers Pampers uh, <laughs> Sampras had been almost in this tennis club mentality of winning pretty or winning the right way yeah and tim came in it was just like no, no 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 i don't care if you're hitting the ball correct that day we need to dig these victories out and that was the thing more than anything was people said was more of a mental change in his game where it was like a desire not necessarily to win but not to lose yeah like you're more afraid of losing than you enjoy winning yep and you think people like Agassi and his locks give a shit about how perfect your form is? Well, by that time, he was losing because yes. he was losing his locks. That's very true. One of my favorite tennis stories ever. <laughs> but So we see his game kind of change. We see his yeah. attitude change. And this is what um, the courier said was just like the next time I saw him, it was like a different player. Yeah, he was hell-bent on just destroying the competition. Not acting wildly like McEnroe, but just like... I'm gonna kick your ass today, and and more relying on his power and his dominating of of the things that other guys couldn't necessarily do, like Agassi, and you know. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, um, that same year he wins the uh, doubles at the Davis Cup with John McEnroe. I thought that was cool. Yeah, like you get to play with your heroes. That's freaking yeah. awesome. Um, 92 Summer Olympics, the only Olympics he ever uh, participated in, uh, lost in the third round on clay to uh, Andre. Cherkasov, I believe. He wasn't a big clay guy. No, because um, it didn't suit the quickness of his game. Yep. You're getting all bogged down at the French Open and things of that nature. Though he did win a number of tournaments on clay, like the Italian Open against Boris Becker and yes, things like that. But it wasn't his best surface, which no. was, you know. Grass and hard court. Grass, and we're about to lead into that, because right now, he's an anti-doper. He's anti-grass. Yeah, anti-grass. He actually said he doesn't like Wimbledon. <laughs> and then his new coach came in and was just like, okay, so you're an idiot. <laughs> this is perfect for you? This is the literally the surface that's set up to help your game. And he was just like, Oh, okay. So, like, this is the thing with the new coach, where his his whole his whole demeanor changed, his his whole attitude to, towards Wimbledon changed. Yeah. Where he used to go and be like, "Oh, I hate this 
open or whatever. And now it was like, oh, this is – he even called it. He was just like, this is the super – you get it. Of, yeah, this, the Super Bowl of tennis. And he kept saying that. It was like the World Series of tennis. And that's what he equated Wimbledon to. And then, I mean, in 93, I feel like this is where you see – Everything kind of changes yep. because he loses in the Aussie Open to this in the semis to Edberg. But in April number ninety three, he's number one in the world because he's just reeling off tournament wins. And by the time he gets to Wimbledon, this is the Pete Sampras everybody knows. Yep, this is the Pete Sampras where rolls into the final, faces Courier, and basically kicks the shit out of him. This is what Courier was saying. He felt like it was a different player than the guy who lost to him last year, which you you have to be like. Because everyone was saying this is when he just relied completely on his serve. And there was criticism after this Wimbledon. Yeah, right? Like, oh, there's no rallies. It's like, well, he hit the ball 120 miles an hour. That's freaking awesome. And Courier said another thing that I love. He just goes, he was so precise. It was like I was trying to battle a, a whatever, a pitcher. Because he literally could put like the ball exactly where he wanted at 120. That's like someone complaining about a perfect game. Like, you just, you witness the greatness and you appreciate it. Seriously. Like, sorry if, there's no rallies, but that ball went in that fast and you're not going to see that every goddamn day. And if you watch this, it is one of those that is dominating. So if he gets one shot back, he is like slamming it home. That's a, That's how... I feel like if you caught one of those, like that kid in the batting cage in Happy Gilmore, you just go down, man. Yeah. You just like, e even if it's a tennis ball, like, 265 more days until the Aussie Open, got to toughen up. <laughs> so then he goes that later that summer to win the U.S. Open. Man, um, you're sick, Chubbs. <laughs> got his head. What's the U.S. Open that summer? Oh. Uh, the first player um, on the ATP Tour in history to have over a thousand aces that season, which and that's is, what yeah. I'm saying. And that that's what we're—he literally almost changed the game and made serving and aces way more prevalent than they'd ever been. Yeah, because now it's coming in fast. Yep. Yeah, because speed's the name of the game in 1993. Uh, 94, starts the year off by winning the Aussie Open by beating Todd Martin. And then that summer, because this is the run of Wimbledon where everything rolls through Pete Sampras, essentially, yep. uh, beats Goran Ivanisevic in the finals. And yeah, it's win or bust at Wimbledon for Pete Sampras at this stage of his career. And uh, people are saying... It in this era of Pete, uh, I think it's like eight years or whatever, they they're, they don't think there's been a better player at Wimbledon because no. he's just been so consistent. He's had so many wins, and his game was so suited for it. That's why I still go back to his coach being like, are you an idiot? <laughs> Anti-grass. How could you? <laughs> How could you have that mentality, Pete? Uh, 95 uh, wins the Davis Cup by beating Russia in Moscow 3-2. to two. Uh, He was included in all three of the wins. Um, in one of them, he was so exhausted he needed help getting into the locker room, uh, but still avenged his loss to uh, Chesnikov. Um, the Aussie Open after that um, loses in the quarterfinals um, to Courier. But this was a, kind of a sad tournament for him because his coach, uh, Gullickson, was diagnosed with brain cancer. So or he hadn't been diagnosed, but he collapsed during one of the matches and he had to leave. And so he had to leave, and he's playing Courier, and he starts crying like on the bench. So if you ever watch this video, he's like openly crying. Um, and then 
Jim says something because he's out trying to serve yeah. and he's like crying. And Jim says, uh, you all right, Pete? We can do this tomorrow. And everybody laughs. Oh. Like it, it's one of those things where everybody laughs. Bad form. Read the room, Jim. And then Courier says it was one of the stupider things because I literally made someone who was sad be immediately extremely angry. And I know you said he, he lost. He ends up. Or no, he ends up winning this he match. He ends up beating yes, him. I'm and sorry. then he yeah. goes on to ends up losing against Agassi. In the final, yeah. Um, and yeah, his, his coach ends up getting uh, diagnosed with brain cancer and, and dying the next year. And you see this in Sampras's career is the dip in form. And mm-hmm. it has nothing to do. It has everything to do with his personal life. Like not 95, but 96. Yeah, definitely. Um he uh, beats uh, Agassi, though, later that year in the finals at Indian Wells and then uh, beats uh, Boris Becker there at, uh, at Wimbledon. Yeah. So our man Boris Becker, and uh, he's probably had some other things on his mind, like taxes and not paying them and things like that. Just various kick-ass things. And then uh, he beats Agassi in the finals at the U.S. Open. So this was a, almost a clean sweep for Pete, essentially, this year. Uh, but yeah, like you said, 96, definitely a downturn. Well, this is when his coach actually dies. Yeah. Um, so in that end of 95, his coach was diagnosed with brain cancer. And then in 96, he actually dies. And, and he has a couple of injuries. And like it is just a down season. This is the only year. But he got to the semis of the French, which is so weird. Of all the tournaments, he, that's he, the one. He made a comment saying that that was the only time that he actually felt like he could have won the French Open. Like he felt like that... Like at home on that court that time, not yeah. any other time. Um, but and he ends up losing Wimbledon, which is the only time in this streak that he ends up losing Wimbledon is ninety six. Yeah, Yevgeny Kafalinkov uh, that year, and even though he's um, uh, wins the third ATP Tour World Championship, uh, it's still you know it's a down year for him. He's still ranked number one. Yeah, that so the, just to put it in perspective, I'm saying a down year. I'm saying by his standards, how many professional ten- t- professional tennis players would kill for a year like that? Exactly. That's the thing. So like, uh, I'm trying to put it in perspective. He's the best right now in his era. Sorry, Agassi. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. And to say that he had a down year and he's still ranked number one. That's I mean, he's still winning. He's still getting deep. It's just everybody was so surprised that he get no- he got knocked out at Wimbledon, and then it's like Bama winning a national title with two losses. Like how could you, Nick Saban? <laughs> just shaking their heads. Yeah, just we're like we're not gonna celebrate. We're not gonna celebrate. We'll take this trophy. We might use it for something else. <laughs> Ninety-seven. Uh, he comes back very strong. Wins his second Aussie Open over Carlos Moya, yes. and then at Wimbledon he returns to form. Um, beats uh, Cedric Piolini in the finals, and he's the only player to win the Grand Slam Cup and ATP Tour Worlds in Hanover, Germany in the same year. I was going to say, this 97 and I think 93 are probably his best years because even in this one, I think he had five other just regular, you know what I mean, regular uh, tourney wins. Oh, yeah, he was 10-1 and against the top 10 and undefeated in eight singles finals. Yes, like it's this year you look at it coming off of 96 and you're like, Oh, he is showing everybody why he was number one and why he didn't lose it. it yeah. So like, it, it's kind of a crazy year, especially with the second Aussie open win, because I feel like everybody was expecting Wimbledon. Yeah. But he came back and he was just like, no, 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 I'm going to win other grand slams. 
and get a Grand Slam from Denny's. People were just saying roll tide. <laughs> but he's uh, this year he joins Jimmy Connors as the only male players to hold the year-end number one for five straight years. Yep. And he made a career best, I wanted to point this out, almost $6.5 million just playing tennis, which is pretty damn cool. And this is right in the era where Agassi is blowing up off of his Polaroid commercial. Yeah, he is. And Dayton Brooks Shields. This, this is this era, and they're asking Sampras to do silly you know, marketing stuff, and he's refusing all of it. Like, he's not like endorsing almost anything yeah he's like in that eric hyden episode remember he did yeah. like one thing because he's like oh i use this product yep you know i actually use this aftershave you're like <laughs> okay good for you uh but that's very much what he was like was he would let his racket do the talking he wasn't a big media guy um like i said he was the silent assassin that had the serve and the power that nobody could really deal with oh yeah definitely um, 98 wins at Wimbledon again in five sets against Evenies. I remember actually watching that match, just yeah. going like, oh, wow, that's, that's fast. That's a fast tennis ball. <laughs> um, loses in the Cincinnati Open to uh, Patrick Rafter. Um, ends up uh, beating, though, beating him in uh, the U.S. Open in, uh, later that year. But... Uh, Still, the sixth straight year where he's number one. Yeah, I was gonna say he, he keeps his number one. Uh, there, were, I think there was a Chilean player that was battling for it, but oh yeah, Corteja. Yep, mm -hmm. and so first guy to do six in a row, which pff, ridiculous for tennis. <laughs> and then we get in the beginning of '99, which he has to withdraw from the Aussie Open and have like almost like a month or two break. Because of fatigue and injury. Yeah. And um, it's not like he's an old man. He's only in his late 20s at this point. But, but he's a yeah, hard 28. That's right. He's <laughs> Walk hard. Walk hard. And then who does he meet? Because he goes on a little, a little break. A little, you know, a little hiatus from tennis. So he has a little free time. Meets up. A lady. A little right? lady. Uh-huh. Who is this lady, Chris? Billy past the third grade. Oh, what a glorious day. Rock on. Past the third grade. The Billy Madison way. He gets with Veronica Vaughn. Is one piece of ace. That's all I'm saying. Everybody on the lawn, good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling on the bus. I have to point this out. We were talking about it before the episode. I said, I don't know her from anything. Our producer, Our producer. with the producing said, yes, yeah, she's Sonya Blade, dickheads. Brigitte Wilson, Veronica Vaughn. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So he finds, uh, he finds love. They end up getting married within that year, uh, within a year of knowing each other. Steals 30 bag launches. And then um, he, he gets back into his... Dominance of Wimbledon. Yeah, so that was the he's thing. Won eleven Grand Slam singles titles. He's yep. about to tie Roy Emerson with twelve when he strolls on into Wimbledon, and it's like a home game for him, Chris. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, he goes into the finals, and who does he beat? A bald. Yeah, Agassi. At this point, she's bald. <laughs> she's bald, Jerry. Bald. Bald. 
Hello. <laughs> oh my god. You're bald, George. I was, was bald. bald. I hate it. And I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do with it. All right. So okay. He ends up, so he beats Agassi, but this is the year that Agassi dethrones him because mm-hmm. Agassi had all those wins. I think he won the U.S. and the Australian. Yeah. Um. So this is his first. So instead of going for se- seven consecutive number ones, this is the first year that Agassi takes over, even though he lost to him um, at Wimbledon. And even though he beats him at the year-end championship. And even though he beats him at the year-end championship. Yeah, he still finishes number three, which nothing to sneeze at after over a decade in tennis, and you're still ranked number three. And having that huge chunk of time that he took off. So it's like and he's a got a points, back issue, yeah, too. It's like a point accumulation so he had to withdraw from the Aussie and then miss all those little tourneys um yeah so he still ends up he still ends up ranked number three uh 2000 is that a really interesting year because I mean we start getting into records yeah uh this year, even though he loses at the French and loses in the semis to Agassi at the uh, Aussie Open wins Wimbledon for the seventh time. The seventh time battling tendonitis in his right shin and his still messed up back and ties the Wimbledon record for most by William Renshaw, I believe. Um, I thought it was Crenshaw. Crenshaw, maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, seven titles at Wimbledon and 13 overall. So he's number one ever for Grand Slams. Um, he uh, In this the final, he was down one set. Uh, four and losing four one in the second set to Patrick Rafter, but he just comes right back and kicks the shit out of him. Well, it, when he was talking about it, he was like, "I can't lose this set. I can't go down two zero mm. with my injuries, with my fatigue, with my style, and come back and win three straight." That that's kind of what he was saying, and he said, "Because I imagine this in tennis where you're like." getting dominated for a long time and then it just flips yeah like their energy just died whatever happens kind of like I mean? the falcons in that super bowl <laughs> people don't forget 28 to 3 people don't forget <laughs> but he ends up winning hey remember when you sense. shit your pants in middle school <laughs> it was like eight years ago who remembers that pretty sure you remember it pretty vividly <laughs> people don't forget <laughs> so he's got 13 grand slam titles uh, rolls into the 2000 U.S. Open, makes it all the way to the finals, but loses to uh, Murat Safin. Um, and it was the last time he was number one, but for 286 weeks. Yep. That's years! And he, he kind of drops off in 2001. Yeah, and I mean, that record stood until... Until the... the a guy who grew up idolizing him comes along. say, these guys who... The now era. But we see this is his first year that he loses... Uh, in Wimbledon in, in a, I think, three or four years. To the guy that broke his record, Roger Federer. <laughs> and that's sports spider webs for you. It was their only pro, uh, pro uh, tennis match Yep, uh, together. It uh, was a 19-year-old Roger Federer. Yeah. Which, that, that is, it, Very tennis is such a, it's such a passing of the torch. It's, it's kind of crazy where you look at who he was beating at 19, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was the star right before him. And then this is literally that. Yeah, the new crop is coming up. Um, U.S. Open, he makes the final, but loses to Leighton Hewitt. And this is the first time in 12 seasons he did not win a title. And the first time uh, he's ranked number 10, which was his lowest since 1989, when I don't even think he was legally allowed booze. There you go. um, 2002, though, is kind of a nice little swan song year for Pete. Well, he said every... He said this himself. When he won the 13th major, he almost lost his drive, his 
need to not lose, like we were saying earlier. He's not made necessary. a ton of money. He's got an awesome wife. He's got kids on the way. Like, what more could he accomplish? And he said the main thing that he came back in 2002 was so many people talking shit that he was over the hill and could never win another Grand Slam. And he even said he was just like, I'm coming back to win one more Grand Slam. Don't provoke these people, honestly. That's exactly what Courier said. It's just like, why are we making a sad man angry? <laughs> so um, he loses in the uh, second round at Wimbledon to George Bastle. Um, his, uh, he asked former coach, though, Paul Anacone, to uh, help him through the U.S. Open, though, this season. Well, in the beginning of the year, it's not looking good. No. Out of the Aussie early, out of the Wimbledon super early, and you're like, dude, you should have retired. And he yeah. comes to the Open, the America's Open. The America's Open. And I believe Michael is... Richards was the ball boy for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is pre-Laugh Factory Michael Richards. But... Starts as the 17th seed overall in this tournament, which is crazy to think. I think he's 31 or 32 years old. I think the commentator said that. He goes, this is a weird statement. 17th ranked Pete Sampras because he was number one for so long, like all of the 90s. Yeah. uh, Some tennis players were saying he was a half a step slower. Yep. Too. It's like he's losing his mojo, but not Pete Sampras. Not the silent assassin. You pay him to do a job, he gets it done. A lot of wet work. A lot of wet work. Damn. (laughs) The U.S. Open 2002 um, ends up beating Tommy Haas, uh, an up-and-comer in uh, the fourth round. And then in the quarters, he draws a young Andy Roddick, another one of those young tennis players ready to get that torch in the quarters. And then um, in the semifinals, uh, ends up pulling it out and goes straight to the finals. And who does he play? This is such the sports spider webs. Yeah. What was his first major championship or Grand Slam, and who did he play and beat? It's the U.S. Open. He beat a mulleted Andre Agassi. Now, 12 years later. Without one mullet. Without it. A mulletless Andre Agassi, and it is very much the same result. Yeah. And he said it was great because obviously they, you know, whatever, dislike each other or whatever, but he said it was a great ending to his career. He probably couldn't have planned it better. Yeah, so So beats him in four sets, uh, gets the 14th Grand Slam singles title, a record which stood until, of course, Roger Federer, um, ties Jimmy Connors for five U.S. Open singles titles, and it was his third straight U.S. Open finals, eighth overall, which was tying Ivan Lendl. So this guy is like tops almost in everything in tennis, which is amazing. Um, following season in August, uh, just before the U.S. Open, kind of a nice little thing for him to go out that yep. way, uh, August 2003, uh, says his career farewell as uh, one of the greatest tennis players ever. Um, won 64 singles titles, 14 Grand Slams, 11 uh, Super 9 ATP Masters Series, ATP World Tour Masters 1000. That's a long freaking name, work titles. <laughs> Five Tennis Masters Cups and was ranked number one for 286 weeks. Silent Assassin, man. That's awesome. Married Veronica Vaughn. Married Veronica Vaughn also. I mean, number one accomplishment. She gave him snack packs. She's the coolest. And so is Pete Sampras. 